0: Let's open with a word of prayer this time of teaching. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this day, for the opportunity that we have to gather, to take a deep breath, to be aware of your presence, and to open ourselves to the word that you might have for us this morning. So God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And speak to us this morning, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, well, our scripture passage this morning comes from Matthew chapter 11. This is verses 27 through 30, and I'll read that for us this morning. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, easy, and my burden is light. Amen. I had one of those mornings this past week where it felt like everything was going wrong. You might have been there too. We overslept, we had to wake the whole house up for school, I was rushing throughout the morning to get myself ready to pack a lunch, to drop my son off at carpool, and we're still getting the hang of that whole kindergarten drop-off thing, that is really stressful like this new kindergarten mom, like, okay, you know, and there's one particular administrator who stands at the front of the line and is just, let's go, let's go, 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 and if I cannot drop off by her every morning, a beloved child of God, yes, I'm good, because my soul is, like, anxious. I'm like, okay, okay, Logan, go, get out of the car, and my, my, you know, my poor five-year-old's like, okay, mom, you know, here we go. Well, that happened on Tuesday, like we're finally maybe three full weeks in trying to get the hang of this. We left the house later than we ever had, hit more traffic in the drop-off line. He was past that time. It wasn't late. It wasn't nine o'clock yet, (laughs) but past the time where they like escort him down to his classroom from the gym. And this poor thing doesn't know his room number. He doesn't know what it, and I'm like, okay. So he's a little frantic, and I'm kind of, I had forgotten to take my allergy medicine, so I had to go back to the house, like, you know, I just knew if I didn't do that now, it's going to be miserable the rest of the day, but if I did do it now, I'd be behind the rest of the day. It's late to my first meeting. I felt unprepared, and it just kept going. One of those days where once you get behind, you feel like you're behind the rest of the day in a hurry. I really hate that feeling to be hurried and rushed. And the irony is, for those that you, uh, most of you know me well, I'm late most places I go. (laughs) Yes, I am late most places I go. I had a a friend in high school that used to tell me I was born 10 minutes late. That's how, it's just in me, I'm late, but I I don't love it. I, you know, I'm always rushed and I show up in a flurry and I, I hate that feeling, as ironic as that is. And you're like, can't you do something about that? You know, just talk to my husband after. We've tried. (laughs) I loved this definition I came across this week by Pastor John Ortberg. It says this, hurry involves excessive haste or a state of urgency. It is associated with words such as hurl, hurdle, hurly-burly, meaning uproar, and hurricane. A state of frantic effort one falls into in response to inadequacy, fear, and guilt. Woof. On Tuesday, I was feeling (laughs) hurly-burly. I hate that feeling. In those moments, I'm not my best self, and I know this. I can be anxious and stressed and scattered and flustered and then overwhelmed, and the worst is that then I can become short or impatient with the people who I love the most and who need me the most, people I live with. (laughs) Do you all remember that 90s country song from Alabama, I'm in a hurry? I'm in a hurry to get things done, oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Remember that? You know? Yeah. I told Daryl I going to sing it. I didn't think he believed me. I don't, yeah, I'll, I'll, at the cookout, at the picnic, we'll sing the whole thing. But that last line, I'm in a hurry and don't know why. What are we rushing off to? Anyone else ever feel that way? Is it just me? I mean, we live in a pretty fast-paced world in society. It's really the water that we're swimming in here. So many of us on the go, rushing from one thing to the next, checking those traffic maps to go the quickest route, fitting in just a few more errands in the day until we are off to the next thing. Some of us might face the demands of work and kids' activities and family commitments and church meetings on top of that, and we challenge ourselves every day to get it done in the same amount of time and do it again. Or maybe you don't face those same demands anymore. You're in a different life stage, and it's not so much the work schedule as much as just we all face the demand for our attention. Things are always crying out for our attention thanks to this digital world we now live in as well. I mean, if we think back just a few years, we can see how rapidly things have changed. And I talk to people all the time, some folks who are retired. My own parents have said this. They're not partially retired, but they're empty nesters. And they said, We're, we don't know how we did it then. We're just as busy now. We feel as, you know, things to do, Grandpare- or grandkids to watch. I'm very needy. <laughs> grandkids to watch. But if you think about just this past few years of how much demands for our attention and how much in our digital age the world has changed, it's really quite astounding. We think about the, the beginning of the digital age, we call it uh, 2007. Anybody know why? 2007. iPhone. That was the release of the first iPhone. Do you know what also happened within a few months of that? The release of the first iPhone. Facebook opened up for all people, like anybody with an email address, not just college students. This new uh, experiment with this micro blogging app called Twitter launched. Also, App Store and the iCloud were released at the same time of the iPhone, right? That makes sense. Back then, 2007, none of us had, not many of us, maybe had smartphones or Wi-Fi, and now we can't imagine a world without them. And along with all these technological advances came access to more information right at our fingertips. Access to news and apps and movies and streaming platforms. And along with all of those apps we download come the alerts and the notifications and the ways to communicate. Other ways that we... I have like eight different apps on my phone that different friend groups use for different basically text messaging, but they don't text anymore, it's on all these other apps, right? more and more to do, read, watch, see, and keep up with. And no matter what demands we face, I think we all are facing those demands for our attention. What are we spending our time watching and doing and reading and responding to? Our culture of hurry compounds and continues. So what's this result? What is it leaving us? How are we feeling? Well, some psychologists and mental health professionals are actually saying that, it's, that there's a, it's a problem, and it's called a hurry sickness. There's a hurry sickness. They describe it as a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time, and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Anyone else get flustered when you encounter any kind of delay? Mostly on the road, right? <laughs> yeah. Some of these signs that you might uh, struggle with hurry sickness, um, if you if you're, see a line at the red light and so you get into the other lane that's shorter, I mean some of that's just common sense though, I mean there's two lanes there for a reason, right? You're not all supposed to be in one lane, anyways. You switch lines at the grocery store to see which one, maybe multiple times, and then maybe switch back to the, fr- it's always wrong, and so you switch back to the line that you actually originally left, and you're like, well that checkout person was faster than they look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You complain maybe if the service is slow at a restaurant. Do so you feel like it's this time wasted, it's frustrating. I had a woman uh, behind me in the car the other day. I was trying to turn from Old Shelbyville Road onto Blankenbaker during ru- rush hour to go get pick up from school. Okay, that's trying to turn left across all of that traffic. And they are coming fast. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting. <laughs> and I see in the rearview view mirror this woman behind me about, you know, same life stage, lays on her horn, throws up her hands because there was a window, mind you, But I, you know, there's a child in the car, and so I didn't go, and she needed to leave the house a little bit earlier, is what my husband likes to say. (laughs) And I'm here, I'm here, I'm not one to point fingers, I will say I'm usually her in most scenarios when I'm on the road, like, come on, just yelling at the car in front of you, willing them to go, I'm in a hurry. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is one that I'm reading as a part of my study for this series, it's by John, Ma- John Mark Comer, he outlines this idea of hurry sickness, and he actually does a really rude thing, and he gives us symptoms for hurry sim- this hurry sickness. Are you ready for this? How you might know if you struggle with this, if you suffer from irritability, that is, you get mad, frustrated, or annoyed way too easily, <laughs> if you suffer from hypersensitivity, where minor events can escalate into very big emotional events, you feel a sense of restlessness. When you actually do slow down and rest, you can't relax, you can't turn off your brain. Maybe workaholism or emotional numbness that's glossing over the surface of life but not always being emotionally present in the moment, like you're there with people, but your mind is somewhere else. Lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics like sleep and good, you know, good health and eating well or exercise. Or maybe you struggle with escapist behaviors, he calls them. That is, when we're too tired to do what actually feeds our souls, we turn to other distractions of choice. Other things that might make us feel better in the moment. Things like overeating or overdrinking or binge-watching Netflix or scrolling social media. You don't have to raise your hand if you suffer from one or more of these symptoms. <laughs> Brenda, oh, it's a, we didn't know who it was behind the MacBook until I called your name. The question is, what is all of this distraction and hurry and hurly-burly doing to our souls? What's it doing to our spirits? Well, I don't know about you, but it can be in really, really busy seasons. The first thing to go, our own spiritual disciplines. Yeah. Which includes gathering for study and community worship and being a part of our church community. I heard that word over there, church. First to go when we get too busy, our own times of like prayer or study. And hear me, I'm in this with you. <laughs> Also, isolation, and I think that's the biggest one we face right now. Not we here, but we collectively in our society of hustle-bustle with so many ways to connect and communicate and be plugged in, we're actually lonelier than we've ever been. Feeling isolated, out of touch with God, with each other, with ourselves, with our own souls. John Ortberg says this, Well, he says that first, and then he says this. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith; it is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for mediocre—a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. This is probably one of my greatest fears in life: is that I'll get to the end and look back and say, "Did I spend it doing the things that mattered?" What am I in a hurry for, or to do, or to accomplish, or to complete? Are we spending our time on the things that matter most, that help us feel connected, that help us feel at peace in a community context that we were designed to be a part of? Because what is life except just a series of moments that I want to be emotionally present to? I'm most mindful of it between the hours of 4 and 8 p.m., where the household getting everybody fed and home and them having their space to wind down and then fed and bathed and in bed. Oh, my word. And I'm there with my kids, but I'm often not there. I'm thinking of all the other things. The phone keeps dinging, right? There's more, more news to see or something, something I need to catch up on and complete and do. And that's when I want to take a deep breath and put that phone away and look at these just beautiful creatures that have been been entrusted to my care. The time is short in that sense. The days are long, amen, but the years are fast. I don't want to skim over the surface of my life and not really live it. There's a story that's told uh, about two theologians, Dallas Willard is one of them. You might have heard of him. A lot of our Methodist friends really appreciate him and his sort of spirituality and devotions that he's published. But he is said to have said this when one of his mentees asks him, this is Dallas Willard. When he asks D- Dallas, "What do I need to do to become the me I want to be? What do I need to do to become the me I want to be?" And Dallas Willard said said this. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. There's a question posed in this book that says, Why am I in such a hurry to be someone I don't even like? And I feel that in those moments where I'm not at my best where I'm short and stressed and irritable with the people that I love the most, who I want to be present with, and you included, right, my family, the people that we love the most. What do we need to do to become the me that we want to be, the you that you want to be? Well, Dallas Willard says we need to eliminate hurry from our life. It makes sense. The highest value in the kingdom of God is love, and love is time-consuming. <laughs> Actually building those relationships, doing actions of love and service, that takes time. I don't think it's an accident that Paul's first definition in 1 Corinthians, of, 1 Corinthians 13 that he says, love is patient. Love is patient. Or love is long-suffering. Love is time consuming. Hurry and love are kind of incompatible in that sense. I love, there's a reason that people talk about walking with God instead of running. Have you thought about this? I laughed this week when I read this because I pictured myself like, all right, God, let's go. You know, and like I'm running and running, like trying to catch up and like find God and obey God and do what he's asking me to and figure out what he's asking me to he never asked me to run. He invited us to walk. And immediately I sort of take a deep breath. And I feel this invitation. Walk with me. Learn to love. Learn to see the beauty of the kingdom of God that is all around you. Invest yourself in the things that will last, that truly matter. And into that setting... We hear the invitation of Jesus that we read this morning in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, not many of us are farmers here, but we might remember what a yoke is. In this agrarian society that he's speaking to right now, Jesus, he's talking about, you know, what you might picture, what's connected to two, oxen is plural, yeah, thank you. Oxen, when they're going to be working the fields and laboring, right, it's important that they have this instrument, this work instrument, that allows them to be equally yoked so that one doesn't pull farther out in front than the other, right, when they're plowing a field or hauling something or doing whatever, you might have oxen do, I'm not a farmer. I don't know. But I know that this piece of instrument is important. (laughs) It's the yoke. This is how the oxen learned to shoulder their load. Shouldering the load. But Jesus, in this sense, is using the yoke as a metaphor. And in this context, it was actually a common idiom of the day in this agrarian society, first century that he's talking to, It was a a common way for a rabbi to refer to sort of his way of teaching. Every rabbi then had a yoke, a set of teachings, a way of life. Jesus' yoke then refers to his way, specifically what's read in Matthew 5 through 7, his Sermon on the Mount. That's where we almost see his sort of like totality in the Gospel of Matthew of his teaching. As a rabbi, his way of life, his yoke. That was how Jesus taught the people how they were going to shoulder their load in the daily sort of demands that they faced. In that Sermon on the Mount, he covered things like marriage and divorce and prayer and money and sex and conflict resolution and government, all of it. And he says, Take my way of life, my yoke upon you, and I will teach you how to bear the load. What made Jesus unique as a rabbi, as a teacher, was not that he had a yoke. No, every, every rabbi had a set of teachings of how they interpreted the Torah. There's a Hebrew word that, for yoke right there. That was their way of interpreting and teaching the Torah. No, what made Jesus unique was that his yoke was easy. That's what makes Jesus unique. Does it make sense? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest, You will find rest for your souls because Jesus says, take my way of life and you will find life abundant. And my way into the kingdom of joy and peace and patience and love, with him helping us shoulder the load, it will be easy. It will be restful. I love, too, the way that it's described in the message. This is the same passage of Scripture, Matthew 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Man, that sounds good. That sounds sweet. That's like something I want to sign up for. Because what does Jesus show us? He shows us the way to the Father and a relationship with God Almighty, our Creator, that hadn't been accessed before by people outside of the Israelites and the people of God in that way. And Jesus connects us to that divine power, that source of peace, that source of creativity. Jesus says, learn from me. Keep company with me. Come hang out with me. Other ways we hear it in sort of his invitations in the Gospel of Matthew is just, come follow me. He's inviting them to be an apprentice, right? Come follow me and learn my ways And I will teach you. Not run, catch up, this is a marathon. Fast-paced sprint, first one who's there wins. No, keep company with me. Learn the ways, the unforced rhythms of grace. Man, that's good. Jesus' invitation is to take up his yoke, to travel throughout life at his side, learning from him how to shoulder the weight of life with ease to step out of the burnout society to a life of soul rest. That's John Mark Comer who says that, to shoulder the weight of life with ease. It's funny, you know, when Jesus is talking to a group of burned-out farmers who are tired and who work, I mean, sun-up to sun-down, you might think if he's offering them rest, you might say, well, here's a mattress, right? Here's a better mattress, or here's a, here's a vacation. But Jesus doesn't offer an escape from our life He offers us a way to shoulder the burden of our demands that he knows we'll face every day. And even now, in 2023, Jesus knows exactly what we face and the pressure and the demand and the cycle. He knows. I can imagine he understands the pressure of expectation from others. And he still invites us to this different way of life. That draws us out of that pattern that our world is stuck in to a different way of being, a countercultural way of being, living and operating in the kingdom of God now on heaven as an earth. Not by giving us an escape or a vacation or a mattress, all of those are important too. We need vacations. But he's saying day in, day out, when you take up your cross and follow me, I'm also going to give you an instrument, a way of life, a yoke that will help you shoulder the burden with ease and grace and joy and love. Sign me up. Sign me up. But here's the thing, if we want our lives to look like Jesus, we also have to adopt his lifestyle. And that's what the yoke is, his way of life. Like, as much as I want to be a really good runner and like run marathons like my husband has in the past, the truth is that like I, I don't like waking up early. I don't really like running more than three miles at a time. And I really don't have the gear anymore or the right shoes that make me live like a runner. So I've just settled to be like, I'm going to take care of my body and run a few miles a few times a week, and that's going to be okay. But if I actually wanted to be a runner, that's a whole lifestyle you've got to adopt, right? If we want to be like Jesus and live this life, we've got to, we've got to pattern our lives after him. So that's what we're going to focus about in this new teaching series. In a time and a place when we might all feel like we're in a hurry, we're going to remind ourselves every week to take a deep breath, to slow down, to hear the soft, still whisper of this invitation from Jesus who says, Would you like to live differently? Come on. Come hang out. You're going to find rest, friends. Rest for your souls in a way that you have never experienced before. Or maybe you have, and you're like, yeah, I need to get back there. That's what I need. How to unhurry our lives by some practices that we see Jesus model in the Gospels, that we're going to unforced rhythms of grace. Hear that. I don't really love the phrase spiritual disciplines. Some of us respond well to that, like we need structure and we need it to be disciplined and that works for us. Me, I immediately feel guilty for all the ways that I've failed when I hear a discipline that I have failed. An unforced rhythm of grace, my friends. Different habits, different patterns that we see Jesus do, and we are going to learn how, part of his yoke, right? We're going to learn how to use those throughout our lives, throughout our days, remind ourselves so that we might best shoulder our loads that we face when we leave these doors, with the kids and with the family expectations and with the work and with the long hours, all of it. Because I can't make those go away, right? But we can encourage one another and uplift one another and pray for one another and hold one accountable to following these habits of Jesus. That even the midst of all the hurly-burly of our lives, we will actually find rest. And I know this is true because I've experienced it before and I bet some of you have too a shift in perspective to focus on what really matters and all of the rest that swirls around us. So four different practices, these rhythms that will help us model ourselves after Jesus. One of the last things that John Ortberg says uh, in this book is he says, hurry is not just a disordered schedule, hurry is a disordered heart. And I want to invite you with me on this series throughout these couple of weeks learning some different practices. You kind of know I do a take on this every fall as we get back into school or we get really, really busy again, September and October. We need to practice these things as a community of faith, these ways and habits that actually give us life and, and help us along the way of looking more like Jesus. And so I, w- I am joining you in desiring, I want to reorder the priorities of my heart so that we can experience together as a community that deep soul rest. Sound good? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Can we get an amen? Yeah. Amen. And listen, you might miss one of the weeks coming up, and that's okay. It's, it's going to be on our podcast. You can catch back up there, and our house groups are launching in the next couple of weeks, and I've already posted the lesson that goes along with this teaching. And throughout that, Even if you're not in a house group, plug, if you want to be in a house group, see me after. We're forming some new ones and still looking for some places for folks, and so we have something for you. That would be great. But if not, you can still access these lessons that I write based on these teachings on our website, and each week when I talk about a different practice, there's going to be guides for you to practice it in your daily life, or weekly, or bi-weekly, or whatever, Ways for you to take on this yoke that is easy and to find rest. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for who you are. We give you thanks that in the midst of the world that demands so much of our time and attention, that expects so much from us, you invite us into a completely different pattern of life. And even in this place, in this one hour that we've set aside, God, we give you thanks that we can take a deep breath, we can focus on you, we can feel your presence, and we can get a little taste of your rest. So God, I pray that you would be with us in the next couple of weeks that we would leave, these, leave this place not feeling guilty for all the things that we could have done or should have done differently or the ways that we have failed but instead excited to join you on this journey, this invitation to keep company with you and to learn these unforced rhythms of grace because that's what this is, God. It's all grace. Grace. And so we thank you for that gift, and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.